We're going to be talking tonight about why Good Friday is actually good. If you're new to Christianity or to the Bible, tonight on Good Friday is when we remember during Holy Week when Jesus rode in on a donkey on Palm Sunday and people are celebrating and worshiping and essentially anointing him as king. That by Thursday night, he's going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Friday morning taken away, and he's eventually going to be crucified and, and tortured and lose his life on account of surrendering it for us. And you may wonder, it seems kind of strange to call something good when it's about somebody losing their life, right? Like, it it never seems appropriate to say it's good that a a person lost their life. But in this case tonight, what we hope to show and address is why his death was good. That if anyone died, that's not a good thing, but he's not just anyone. We believe that he wasn't just a human being, perfect without sin, but he was also fully God and fully human, and that when he was, gave up his life, it meant something very significant, that essentially you and I could draw near to a perfect God, and that we no longer had to carry around the weight of our sin anymore, that we could be redeemed. And so today is going to be a little bit different. Often on Good Friday, we have very somber services to remind ourselves of what it was like, because they would have been very confused when he died. But today, we also want to celebrate a little bit. We're doing something a little different this year. Because of what he did, it changes everything in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, and that's what I want to do. Will you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19, John chapter 19. Pastor Invita Elder and I will be co-teaching today about the death of Jesus. And at this point in time, as we remember in Holy Week, he's he's been betrayed by a friend. He gets to this point, and he's going to come before Pontius Pilate, who is the governor of Judea within the Roman Empire. And so as we look at John chapter 19, I kind of want to set the scene a little bit. I imagine if you're at a Good Friday service with the weather like this, you at least have somewhat familiarity with the story of Jesus. But just in case you don't, I want to retell it as if you've never heard this before. Would that be cool? Okay, here we go. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Are you ready to study God's Word, church? Come on now. It, it says this. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. And went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate, again the local governor, came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. So he says, there's no reason under Roman law that he should be crucified, that he should lose his life. And yet the crowd is going to continue to to cheer and to chant that he should lose his life. And in fact, they will save a thief instead of of Jesus, man that uh, raised up a rebellion. They're going to let free. But this man, Jesus, who had done nothing wrong, they convinced Pilate to crucify him. Verse 13, then, if you look down in John 19. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. 
It was a day of preparation of the Passover. So this was leading up to the slaying of the Passover lamb that would happen at three o'clock in the afternoon at twilight. And they said this as he brings them out. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And so he's going to die this gruesome death that we're going to talk about. And it seems like one of those horrific things that why would we ever look forward to remembering this as Christians today and even celebrating what he has done? And what I want to tell you today is it's because of his death, the way that he did it, that you all should understand the depth of God's love for you. So you ever ask yourself the question, why? Like, if God was going to redeem humanity who had rebelled against him since the beginning of time, well, he could have done it anyway, right? Why did he choose to do it this way? What we hope to show you is that he fulfilled all kinds of prophecies by doing it this way. That he'd been planning it since the moment of human rebellion. But I believe also underlying, and the truth is we don't always have the answer to the why questions in, in this uh, side of heaven. But what I want to show you is I believe it's because he got to demonstrate the depth of his love for us, willing to give up so much, to go through so much pain and suffering that you and I could know a perfect God. That's what we're going to look at and demonstrate today. Will you pray with me? Uh, God, we just pause in the busyness of some people just got back from uh, a week away for uh, celebrating uh, some time away from school, God, for spring break. Other people, God, we've been busy working all this week. We just got off work. We came here, and we just acknowledge your presence here. The Bible teaches us that your spirit is here with us in the room right now. And so, God, I pray for each person, wherever they've come from, for those who are here tonight and have questions. God, I pray that you would speak to their soul through Scripture. God, for those of us in here who have been Christians for decades and we've been to many Good Friday services, I pray that something would change today. It would be a transformative moment where we re release some things in our life to you. We love you, Jesus. We give you this time. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. Hey, do we, do we have any people in here who, like, you're a gym rat. You like to work out a little bit. Come on now. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed. Raise it high. I'm not going to make you do anything. Raise it high. Okay, we're going to have a push-up contest tonight. Who's ready? Just kidding. Do we have any CrossFitters in here? CrossFitters? Like, you, you know, like really intense? You, not going to be honest? Come on. I know you're lying. Many of you are. Uh, well, I found out about this thing. Anybody ever been rucking before? You heard that, right? Uh, okay. This is where you get a rucksack. Now, this isn't a real one, but let's pretend that it is. And it's essentially like a backpack that you can load with weights. Load it up heavy, right? Some people will put as much as 20, 30, maybe even 50 pounds and go run on trails to place it on their back so that they can work their legs, their body out harder, get in better shape, maybe, because you got to look good for spring break, right? And what I want to talk about today is that I believe that for many of us as Christians in our faith, we think that somehow the way that we please God is to sacrifice for him in a way where we carry around a lot of burdens, I got to imagine coming here tonight that there are some people in the room that you've got some burdens that you've been carrying. Maybe even, if we're going to get real for just a second, some sin in your life. And sin is just like, we give it all these, uh, you know, these explanations, but the reality is it's just an archery term. It means you miss the mark like the bullseye. You're not perfect. None of us are. 
And we're carrying around, I would say, biblically speaking, the weight of our sin a little bit, trying to please God more the more. I might even say a CrossFit is a good thing for your physical body, but I believe there might be some CrossFit Christians out there practicing CrossFit Christianity, carrying around a lot of burdens that you were never meant to carry. That's the heart of what I want to talk about tonight with Pastor Invita. In fact, do you know what happens? It's one thing to carry this to work out, to exercise, but if you were to carry around an extra 50 pounds every minute of every day, it could be debilitating to your body. In fact, there are uh, uh, places in other cultures, I was talking to Pastor Nate about this, in other cultures, people often don't have a choice but to do physical labor where they carry heavy items on their shoulders, their head, their back, and over time, the weight of that can actually cause trauma and debilitating injuries to their physical body, even transform it. I want to tell you today that I think there are many people, Christian and not, carrying around a lot of spiritual burden and sin that you don't need to. And we probably don't even see the trauma and the debilitating nature of what it's causing in our life. Today, we're going to say we're no longer going to do that. I'm going to not just please God by trying to work harder for him. I'm going to please God by receiving his love for me. That's what we want to talk about, to talk about why Good Friday is good. That said, will you welcome Pastor Invita Elder as she comes up here? And I hope you're ready because she's got some heavy stuff to teach that I've just loved as I heard it a few times now. Come on up, Invita. Hey, well, welcome. I am so excited to be co-teaching with Pastor Josh. And um, God, what an honor and a privilege to share on this night. And I just want to tell you that I am so excited to share some of the things that God has put on my heart this evening to share with you. You know, why is Good Friday good? I have four children, and for the last decade, I've been asked the same question on Good Friday. Why is this called Good Friday? Like, Jesus was beat, he was tortured, he died. This should be called Bad Friday, you know? And um, I think it's really hard to understand why this Good Friday is in fact a Good Friday when you're just looking at that one day. Because it seems like when you look at that day, it seems like nothing good came out of that. But what happened on this day was a fulfillment of God's promises. See, in Genesis, when there was sin, God had said, you know what, you walked to Adam and Eve. He's like, you know, you've walking away from us, there's separation now. God's like, I'm going to make this big rescue plan and bring you back to me. And he had this big plan of restoration. And even since Genesis all the way to until Jesus comes, the Bible is a story about this rescue plan and of God working. So I don't know what you came in here today with. I don't know if you had a bad day. Maybe you're in a bad season. I just want to encourage you today that even if you feel like God is not present, that he doesn't care. I just want to remind you that we have a God who is able to work all things together for good for those who love him. And he's a God of his promises. And Jesus was a fulfillment of all the promises that God had made. So we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be starting out in John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. If you're of Bibles, you're welcome to turn there with me. While you're turning, I just want to give a little bit of a background. I know Pastor Josh read from John 19 earlier, but what had happened essentially until this time was Jesus had been betrayed by his friend. He had been flogged 40 times with something that was made out of leather. It had metal balls embedded in it. It was designed to bruise his body with every beating. 
It had sheep bones in it. And it was designed to rip his skin open with every beating. And he got that 40 times. By this was done, it, like his body is a bloody mess. So physically, he's in so much agony. He's being mocked. He's being spit upon. He gets a crown of thorns on his head. And as all this is happening, he finally gets crucified. He has hands get hammered with nails on this cross. And while he's hanging there in physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, his shoulders and his bones would have started dislocating because the weight of his body was just coming down. And while that's happening, his diaphragm would have been pushing up on his lungs, which made it harder and harder for him to breathe. He was just slowly suffocating. And with his dying breath, this is what he says. You know, when we have people in our lives, when we know that this might be their last moments, we pay extra close attention to what they're saying because all of a sudden their words have weight. And this is what Jesus says, and we're going to pay extra close attention to what he's about to say here in John 19, 28. It says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Hang on to that because we're going to come back to that. Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked up a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The title of the message today is called, It Is Done. And we have an acronym to remember this, all the points by, and it's also done. So the D in the acronym is for, did the impossible. Jesus did the impossible. What is he talking about when he says he fulfilled the scriptures? See, before Jesus was born, when God was making this plan, God had used prophets to say things about this Messiah that was going to come and rescue them. And there were specific things about this Messiah that he, was going, that he was going to be like when he comes. And Jesus, when he says the scriptures have been finished, he's talking about like, hey, every single thing that was written about me, it is now finished. So what are some of these prophecies? I read this years ago, and I was so excited when I read it. I was like, oh, I have to hang on to this because I am going to share this with someone someday, and that day is today. So get excited because I've been waiting for this day. Um, and this stuff was written by Peter Stoner, and he, is a math, he was a math professor. And he wrote this book. It's called Science Speaks. And in this book, he decided to calculate probability. He looked at messianic property, uh, pro- prophecies, and calculated, okay, what is the likelihood of these things actually happening? So first, he looked at eight specific prophecies. So these are the eight that he looked at. See, 400 years before Jesus was born, Malachi, he said a messenger was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. 500 years before Jesus was born, Zechariah, he said the Messiah would ride on a donkey into Jerusalem as the king. He also said he would be betrayed by a friend for exactly 30 pieces of silver and that that money would be used to buy a potter's field. 700 years before Jesus was born, Micah said the Messiah would be born in the town of Bethlehem. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would remain silent 
while he was afflicted. Church, a thousand years before Jesus was born, before the form of crucifixion had ever been invented as a form of execution, King David, he said that his hands and his feet would be pierced. See, our God did the impossible. We have a God who is the God of the impossible. He was, is, and will always be the God of impossible. So I don't know what you walked in here with today. If you came in here and God, there, my marriage seems impossible. My relationship with my kids seems impossible. My finances, God, my work, I don't know what your impossible situation is today. But can I remind you that we have a God who is the God of impossible. Someone get excited in this house. The second thing that we're going to look at on this message is where it says, it is finished. From this passage, it is finished. In English, it's a phrase. But the language that was originally written in, it's ancient Greek. And there, it was just one word. And I'm thinking about it so I can tell you correctly how you say it. It is pronounced as tetelestai. Can you guys say tetelestai? Tetelestai, you're way better than I am. It took me a long time to get there. Tetelestai. Now, depending on how this term was used, it had different meanings. The high priest, when on the day of the atonement, when they had made a sacrifice, he would come out and announce, Tetelestai to the people. Your sins have been atoned for. The servants, when they had a task that was assigned to them, they would go back to their employees and say, Tetelestai, I have completely finished the task which was assigned to, for me to do. There's nothing else more left to do. The judges would say, Tetelestai, when a prisoner was done with their term, indicating that justice had been served. There's actually documents that were found from this point in time with a stamp saying, Tetelestai, which indicated that the full debt has been full, had been paid. So when Jesus, with his dying breath, is on the cross and he's saying, Tetelestai, this is not just empty word, it is a declaration of victory. He's saying, Tetelestai, your sins have been atoned for. Tetelestai, your debt has been paid in full. Tetelestai, I finished every single thing that I was born to do here today. He's saying, Tetelestai, justice has been served. And I don't know if that gets anybody excited in this house, but that means that you and I now have the privilege of going in front of the living God, just as we are because of what he did on the cross when he said, I have finished everything. Amen? Amen. That brings us to the second point, which is one final sacrifice. One final sacrifice. We read about sacrifices all through the Old Testament. And there were some that were mandatory. There were some that were temporary. And if I'm being honest, it's completely overwhelming reading about them in the book of Leviticus. It is very bloody and there's so many rules and there's so many regulations. And I am so happy I can just talk to Jesus and not do all of that. I don't know if anybody here is thankful for that. I am, but I am thankful that we don't have to do those anymore. See, all those sacrifices were always temporary. But when Jesus came, he said, I am the one final sacrifices. You guys don't have to do that anymore. And let's see what the Hebrews have to say about that. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away any sins. But when this priest 
had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect whoever those are being made holy. These priests, they were standing. They were always standing because their work was never done because they had to keep offering these sacrifices. Jesus, after he sheds his blood for us, he sits down at the right hand of God. He's like, I can sit. It's done. My work is done. There's nothing else more to do. It is finished. He was the one final sacrifice. And he made it possible for us to go before God because his blood covers all our sin. And I don't know if there's anything that's weighing on your heart today when you came in from this week or over the years. But I think as humans, it's just really hard for us to admit when we have stuff going on in our lives, isn't it? Like I said earlier, I have four children, and this just happened this week. And um, this is a photo of my daughter. So I walked into the pantry, and I was like, hi, Esther. She's like, hi. I was like, what's going on? She's like, nothing. I'm like, well, did you eat something? She's like, no. Maybe something sweet. She's like, no. Like, maybe something pink. She's like, no, mama. I was like, maybe something like pink sugar that we would cover our icing with, like for cakes and cupcakes. And she just froze. And I was like, buddy, I'm like, babe, there's stuff all over you. And she's like, I'm sorry, mama. You know, I had a complete meltdown. I'm like, it's okay. You know, I forgave her. But I feel like it's so just... It happens in kids all the time, right? In fact, she's not the only child who's done this. I have more children. And this is another photo I found. And this is after um, most of him had already been cleaned up. I thought maybe I should take a photo for someday. So here it is. Of course, this was right before going to a wedding. And he's like, no, I didn't find a marker. No, I didn't color anything. Nothing happened. What are you talking about? Right? But all of us have a tendency to do that. Sometimes there's sin in our life, which is just so blatant, right? It's like, maybe it's anger where it's just easy to identify. But sin is sin, right? Anything that separates us from God, maybe it's like gossip. The fact is, every single person in here, including me, we have sinned and we need a God and we need the blood of Jesus to cover us. But we don't have to live a life that is just full of burden and shame and guilt this is the one thing that Jesus came for. He came so we could be set free. But the first step is admitting it, admitting that we have a sin and that we need forgiveness and God will always forgive you because that is why he sent his son. That leads us to our next point, which is no separation. No separation. The day that Jesus was dying on the cross, this was a day of atonement. It's not an ordinary day. It was actually a really sacred day for the Jews. Once a year, on this day, the high priest would go into this part of the temple. It was called Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go in there. Only after they had taken many steps to make sure that they were free of sin. If they didn't do something correctly, they would die. So it was kind of a big deal. It was a huge deal. 
But this place that was called Holy of Holies was separated by this veil. And this is not just some flimsy piece of fabric. This veil was designed. It was there to separate people from the presence of God. Because if anybody went into the presence of God the way they were, they would die. Because God can dwell with sin. So this veil acted as a separation. And this veil was made of lots of fabric that had been twisted. Then it had been woven through. That wasn't enough. It was overlaid with gold. And it took 300 priests to just pick it up and move it. It was a huge piece of veil. This would be massive. But that was the purpose of it. Let's see what happens to this veil when Jesus takes his last breath. In Matthew 27, 50 through 51. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rock split and the tombs broke open. God himself, there's no way a human person could have worn that chair. God himself in his power, he's like, Jesus is dead. Your sins are covered from, there is no more separation between you two, me and you. He tore the veil, you guys. So now because of the torn veil, we have access to the living God of the universe. Hello, someone get excited. You can talk to God on your own. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to be born in a certain family. You don't have to have your life together. You go to God just the way you are because this is why he did all that he did because he wants to have a relationship with you. And Pastor Josh is gonna come and close it out. Wow, can we thank him? Holy cow. That was fantastic. And I, I, I mean, just as you were sharing right at the last moment, I find myself like getting excited. Like, okay, God, I, I want to know you more. I want to experience you. But I want us to remind ourselves, like for the disciples, this was a, a devastating day. They're losing not only their friend and their rabbi, their teacher, their they're losing. They thought the Messiah was supposed to give them the city back, the land back, be the king again, get rid of the Romans. And yet what they thought was the most devastating thing in their lives turned out to be the best thing ever. That God had been planning since the very beginning of the rebellion of humanity. That he'd been waiting for that particular moment in time. And, and I want to demonstrate that to you. As Anvita shared there, uh, the title is, It's Done. Today, the stuff in your life that you have done that has separated you from God, if you are honest with him, it's done. You don't have to have it separate you anymore. And she shared that first point that uh, it, you know, it's in, God can do the impossible in your life, and he did the impossible. In fact, do you realize that we were talking about Peter Stoner and those statistics earlier, those eight prophecies that he shared do you know the, the probability that the, just those eight prophecies would be fulfilled? Avita was telling me this. It was like one in like a uh, hundred quadrillion, I believe. There's the number right there. That's the probability of those eight prophecies being fulfilled. And this is from the mathematician Peter Stoner that she shared. It, the probability that 48 prophecies would be fulfilled is this number that she found for us as well. And the probability, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament written hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, even as she said, talking about crucifixion before it was even invented. 
the probability that those over 300 prophecies would be fulfilled, it's completely impossible. It shouldn't happen. That God had orchestrated all of these things so that you and I and every human being could be sitting here today or wherever out in the world and know he had something to do with this. That he had designed a way that you could interact with him because he can do the impossible in your life no matter what you're facing. Number two, we shared that, that one final sacrifice in your, in your life that you no longer have to carry around your own uh, rucksack of all of the sin and wrongdoing you've got in your life and feel bad about it for the rest of your life. And, and you'll see people do this all the time. You'll see people who have gotten older in their life and they've carried it around for so long, they've just become jaded, they've become hardened, angry at the world. No fingers point, all right, it's okay, it's okay. But the reality is, some of us, this thing gets really heavy over time and it weighs you down and you begin to notice it in somebody's life. The Bible teaches us there is now no separation between us and God because of the crucifixion as the atoning once and for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. That no matter how you've missed the mark, by the way, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, every single person in here, even the person you came with that you thought was the good Christian, every single one of us have sinned, sinned this week and have done things to separate us from God. And tonight, what we want to talk about is this fourth and final point. Everything, he did all of these things, everything he did out of love for us so that we could be here tonight and no longer be bearing the burden of our sin. You see, let me show you, uh, I told you, I, I'm surmising from scripture that I believe that he did this because of his great love for us. Because in John three sixteen, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That agape, unconditional love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us because he loved us so greatly. That's why he did it. And if you don't believe John 3.16, then look at 1 John 3.16. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If you're here tonight, and you know that you've got some stuff in your life that if it was made public, you wouldn't want some people to know. If you're here tonight and you've got some things in your life in this last year that have been devastating, things that were done to you or things you did to other people and you've been carrying around that burden or even to go as far as some of us, our sin, our wrongdoing, our mistakes, and you're carrying it around, what we want to give you the opportunity tonight is to be free from that, to no longer carry it. And so I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, and we're going to do something we've never done here before. They're going to be uh, taking uh, four black boxes, and they're going to put them right here at the front of the stage. And everybody had a card on your seat when you came in. And we want to, during this next song, give you the opportunity to worship, to pray, to say, God, what is it in my life that I've been carrying around that I need to let go of? In particular, maybe there's some sin in your life. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm going to tell you, like half of you, you've been Christian so long, you're going to be like, I can't even think of anything to write down. And maybe you should write that down. Right? Like, we have stuff in our life 
that we just need to admit, and here is the beautiful thing, because he did this out of love, we can be forgiven and made free of it. But it takes this beautiful act to receive the love of God. What the Bible teaches is we have to confess our sin and repent of it. Repent means you're walking one way and you do a 180 and you turn around and go the other way. It's saying, God, I'm sorry. I leave this in my past. I'm no longer going to hold on to this anymore. So tonight, we want you to write down anything you're asking God for forgiveness of or that you would like to repent of. And then when you're done with it, fold it up. Don't write your name or anything on it. Come down front, and you're going to put it in one of these black boxes right here at the front of the stage. And at the end of the night, after the service is over, nobody's ever going to open these boxes. We're going to have a bonfire. And Pastor, I'm not kidding. Pastor Nate actually brought a, a, a fire, right? Where'd Nate go? Uh, and we're going to literally take all of these and we're going to set them on fire and it's going to be gone. It's done. It's finished. You don't have to live the rest of your life feeling bad for the things that you have in your past. Because some of you have been doing CrossFit Christianity, carrying around your burdens in your rucksack of all the sin in your life, weighing you down, getting heavier and heavier. And it's almost like you have enough pride in your life to not ask for forgiveness and take it away. And God's saying, you don't have to carry it. Get rid of it. Feel free again. The, the, the freedom of the sin in our life is one of the most joyous experiences I, I, me personally in my faith I've ever had. I can still remember when for the first time I understood this message when I was a young man and I cried for literally days because of it. Because everything you've ever done that you know hasn't been right or has separated you from God, if you repent of it and confess your sin, it's gone for all time. He doesn't see it anymore. Atonement, atoning means covering up. Because of the crucifixion of Jesus, he has covered up, atoned for your sin and wrongdoing. He no longer sees all the sin in your life. He sees his son, Jesus. And I want you to experience that type of freedom tonight. And some of you are going to walk out of here and be changed forever because of it. And you're going to say, I want to live for Christ. I want a new life. I want to be baptized in one of the Easter services. And then for some of you, you've been Christian long enough that you need to get out of that stale life that you have been living to remember what it's like to repent of your sin again and draw near to God. It's however revival of Jesus Christ begins. And I believe that he's doing that right here tonight in our room. And I at least want to experience that type of faith in my life. And I want to invite you to do the same. We pray with me. God, we come to you humbly as a community who is not perfect. God, for the people who are attending online right now, for the people in this room that we know that the weight of our sin and our wrongdoing is, weighs us down over time. God, I still got things in my life. I can remember I did 20 years ago that I, I still cringe when I think about it. And I can remember things I did a year ago. So God, we come to you and we celebrate that Good Friday is good and it is done, it is finished if we come and confess and repent of our sin. And so we simply do that tonight. If you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with him yet, you don't know how to talk to him and confess your sin to him, I want to give you the opportunity right now to walk that, uh, with you right now in the room. Pray this with me. God, I just want to, for the first time, confess to you that I'm not perfect, 
beginning to believe in you. And so I do what we've talked about. I repent of anything in my life that has separated me from you. And I receive your free gift of mercy and grace and forgiveness to atone and cover up for my wrongdoing. I surrender everything in my life to you as Lord. And then for the Christians in the room, pray this with me. God, I I confess to you that I need to have the type of humility that I read about in Scripture, that I'm not so different than the elders' children, God. I've got stuff on my face, and I try to pretend like I don't. And so we just come, and we rid ourselves of our pride, God, and, and we pray that we could confess our sin to you and repent of it, and that you may make us free of it, and when we stop carrying it around and not remember it, it only the enemy wants us to feel that burden and shame, God. We relinquish control of that sin to you. We ask for your forgiveness, and we receive it openly. And God, as we write this symbolically on these cards, as we walk out of here, may we not even remember those things anymore. We surrender them to you, Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. So I'm going to invite you uh, just during this next song, if some of you want to stand for worship, uh, our pastors are available if you would like to pray about anything, but we want you, whether you're sitting or standing, to write down whatever it is in your life right now as we worship during this next song that you'd like to surrender over to him and have it be gone forever. And then when you're ready to come down front and drop it in the boxes, and like I said, no jokes made, no one will ever see these. We literally are going to light them on fire to symbolically say they're gone forever.